This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Okay, it's my pleasure to introduce our speakers for today. The topic, of course, is sex education is our right, the SOGI in BC schools. There's been a lot of discussion about SOGI. So we have two educators from for the Sex Education is Our Right campaign. They're going to be talking about the importance of sexual health and also sexual orientation and gender identity education in schools. Gaeta is from the Youth Co. HIV and Hep C Society, and Darren is from the Community-Based Research Center for Gay Men's Health. Please welcome Gada and Darren to our meeting today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, this is very lovely. I guess I'm going to stand up. So I'll tell, you, we'll tell us, I'll tell you guys a bit about ourselves first. So my name is Darren Ho. I work for the Community-Based Research Center uh, for Gay Men's Health. And our organization has existed for about 19 years now. Um, and it was only in the last two years or so that we've really uh, become a more like, established nonprofit organization. So what we do is we focus our work on research in gay men's health that, that can uh, benefit the health outcomes of gay men. And when we, do, uh, when we do gay men's health work, we also include um, other men who have sex with men or other guys who are into guys. So that includes like, bisexual guys, trans guys, uh, queer guys, et cetera. And so a lot of the work, the work that we do is to uh, do research around gay men's health and to use that research to advocate for issues that will benefit uh, <clears throat> the health of people in our community. Yeah, and my name is Gada. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having both Darren and myself. Um, like it was mentioned, I work at YouthCo HIV and Hep C Society, uh, which is an organization just in downtown Vancouver. Um, and we've been around since 1994. Um, and our main work is around erasing the impact of stigma around um, HIV and Hep C. And we do that through a peer support and peer education model. Um, so peer education can look like us going into high schools, um, other community spaces, and giving workshops on HIV, Hep see um, harm reduction and sexual health. Um, so for example, my job, a lot of it is going to high schools and teaching sex ed um, workshops. Um, we also have other programs within the team um, that supports um, and gives space for youth living with HIV and or Hep C. Um, we have an indigenous program that delivers the same kind of educational material, but in um, indigenous communities. Um, and we also have um, programs that run for queer and trans as well. So our one of the first things that we want to do is kind of open up the floor to talk about um, sex ed how sex ed was for everyone here. Um, but we have an activity, and we'll just uh, do it the, um, in a discussion style. Yes. Um, so we prepared a few questions um, that'll get us thinking about our own individual experiences with the sex ed that we have received or maybe haven't received in schools. Um, so the first question that we have is, just jogging our memories, did you receive sex ed when you were in school? So that's a show of hand for yes. So let's do show of hands for yes. So not everyone, but most. Okay. 
So going off of that, um, how would you describe your sex ed experience? So how were those sex ed classes that you had in school? Inadequate, weak. I heard yeah. weak, I think. Yeah. Biological slash mechanical, yep. Um, so this next question is, what would you have changed about the sex ed that you received? So we have most of it. <laughs> more chances for students to ask questions. Yeah, great. Less biology, more relationships. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so only learning about female parts. Yeah, so instead of just what I'm getting from you is like maybe instead of lecturing, expecting that children also have questions and like interests of their own and will critique the material that they're presented with. And our last question is, what do you think is important for youth to learn in their sex ed classrooms? So what were some of the gaps? Yeah. So feelings are okay. What you're stimulated to is okay. Yes. Oh, yes. Consent. That is a huge topic that we also agree should yes. be taught in classrooms. Mm -hmm. Diversity. Yeah, these are all of our four questions. For me, this is a really cool activity to begin with because when I go to high schools and I ask high schoolers these questions, they tell me the exact same thing <laughs> for each and every single question. Um, so same complaints, um, they feel the same way about things that are still being left out and they like your ideas for how sex ed can be improved or what's missing from sex eds. Um, echoes the same thing that they tell us too um, of the current sex ed curriculum we see. Yeah, and just to give you an idea of how old Gan and I are, I have been out of high school for 10 years now. Like I had my 10-year high school reunion, I think, last year or so. And I even have the same responses as you folks, and we have the same responses as youth currently in school. So you can see that like even though there's like different generations of us talking about sex ed, it's like we all want the same thing. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk a bit about the background of this campaign. So this campaign that Gada and I are working on is called Sex Ed Is Our Right. Uh, and before we talk about what this campaign actually is all about, I'll give you an idea of why we started this campaign. So we kind of looked at what BC looked like, uh, sorry, what Sex Ed and BC looked like, both of our organizations. And we, what we saw was that sexual health education, the curriculum in schools is very unregulated in BC, which means that different schools can teach different things depending on uh, how well resourced the school is or where the school is located. So even though there's, there is a standardized curriculum that all schools in BC have to follow, but this curriculum is also very vague. So there's a, like a couple of check marks and um, if the teacher you know teaches one thing about HIV, it's a check on the check mark and that's that's great for the whole year. Um, so we know that it's unstandardized, and but we also know that this is a curriculum that recently got updated, I think in 2017, 2017 or 2016 or so. So it has been looked at and uh, like reviewed by people recently. It's not like this is outdated. This is a recent curriculum, and it's still very uh, unfit for a lot of the youth um, today. So, and the other thing I want to point out is that because it's so vague, um, a lot of schools, uh, a lot of teachers get to pick and choose what they want to teach, and which is unfair for all the students in BC because we know that you know if we live in Vancouver, maybe our uh, teachers are more well resourced and they can like bring in more guest speakers. But if we are living in some rural areas or remote areas, th these are schools that might not have access to bring in. Um, guest speakers like Youth Code to come in to do a really great sexual health workshop. So instead, 
the teacher has to uh, figure out a way to do it, and some schools don't have the resources to do that. Um, another reason for why we came up with this uh, campaign is uh, there's this provincial health officers report that came out in 2015. So this is a report that kind of gave, um, it kind of reviewed the overview of how HIV was looking in BC. And so it would talk about all of the great things that's happening in terms of HIV in British Columbia and how we could improve our HIV prevention efforts, our HIV education efforts, and our HIV treatment efforts. And so one of the recommendations that came out of this report was that HIV intervention has to happen at a youth level, which means we have to start talking to youth about HIV in high schools. So it's something that has to be integrated into sex ed, which isn't something that all schools are currently doing. Um, yes, so how we first started doing this work is by working to um, create a youth-led peer report. Um, and how we did this is the timeline for this was from November 2017 to March 2018. Um, and we wanted to connect with youth from across BC um, and hear from them about their ideas on sex ed. Um, so we spoke to more than 600 youth from across BC um, and we approach this um, using two different methods. We did um, discussion groups in high schools, um, and we also created an online survey. Um, and to do this work, there were two queer young adults. So there was myself and another youth. Um, so this was a youth-led project because we wanted um, the youth to feel comfortable talking to us and comfortable approaching us with their thoughts and questions. Um, so the two of us led this work, and we focused on connecting with LGBTQ2S, um, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and two-spirit youth, um, specifically because they don't feel like, or we often don't get to hear voices from them about what they think about sex ed. Um, so we connected with GSAs in schools. So GSAs are gender and sexuality alliances um, in the hopes of um, being connected with more LGBTQ2S youth. Um, and in the end, we ended up, um, for the focus groups, there were six of them. Um, so six focus groups that were 80 minutes long. Um, so when we went into the high schools and we connected with GSAs, we had um, discussion groups where we um, like played fun interactive activities um, and then had a round table conversation um, where we asked questions about sex ed. For example, many of them were similar to the ones that we started with today, um, but we also left it up to the youth as well to lead the conversation and share their thoughts and talk about what they want to talk about. Um, yes. Um, and then uh, for the survey, that was basically designed to help us reach um, more youth that weren't just in Vancouver. Um, so for the survey, um, we had, again, questions, more demographic-based questions, um, and the survey was answered um, in more than 83 cities and towns, um, and it was also a good way for us to connect with queer and trans youth who maybe didn't want to out themselves by being in those um, discussion groups at schools if they weren't comfortable doing that, um, and also connecting with cis or straight youth um, who we also didn't connect with through GSAs. Um, and from all of these um, discussion groups and the survey, um, we got to hear a lot about what um, the sex ed that youth wants look like. Oh, 
Yeah. Um, so we're going to be going over um, the overriding themes from those discussion groups um, that were echoed consistently from the youth. Um, and the first one is that sex, uh, youth want um, sex ed that is relevant to them. Um, so youth need sex ed that is relevant to the sex that they are having or may have in the future. Um, and a lot of them shared that they felt like what they were currently, currently receiving, um, the sex ed in schools that they were receiving, didn't really speak to the questions that they had and the knowledge that they needed in order to make informed decisions about their sexual health. Um, so for example, a lot of the queer and trans youth that we spoke to um, complained to us that um, the sex ed that they were learning about um, concerned only one types of sex um, instead of really reflecting their lived experience. Um, so they didn't feel very seen in that. Um, and consequently, they were not able, um, it didn't help them make informed decision. Um, and they also said that it focused uh, too much on biology and body parts and not enough on like the social and relational aspects of sex as well. So some of the things that they said they felt missing were talking about consent, um, talking about how to communicate your boundaries to someone else, or also just like, what do I do if I have a crush on someone and I'm freaking out and I don't know what to do? Um, so they viewed those things as really important topics that should be covered in sex ed. And the second, um, point that youth shared with us is that they want um, sex ed that is standardized. So wherever they are in the province, youth want to be getting the same ongoing comprehensive sex education as their friends. Um, so from the survey that we did, 57% of the youth shared that they think school is an important place for them to learn um, sex ed, because a lot of the times if they went looking in other places, they might not find um, reliable information that can answer their questions. Um, but unfortunately, they shared with us that there was a lot of discrepancies in the amount and content that they were receiving. So one of them, for example, was like, I only got sex ed once in grade five, and then never again. Um, but their friend next to them was like, that's really weird, I get it every year, um, and my teacher like provides really great, awesome sex ed. Um, so there's just not consistency. Um, so for example, even if like you mentioned in the beginning, even if the curriculum is really awesome and covers a lot of things, it's not being delivered in the same way because there's um, a lot of differences in terms of the resources that schools and educators have um, to deliver it. Um, so what they wanted is sex ed that starts in early grades um, and continues throughout the years. So it's not a one-time thing, um, but they're getting relevant information throughout the years. Um, the third point that they shared with us is that they want um, their sex ed classes um, to feel safe and for whoever it is that is delivering the content to be knowledgeable. Um, so they really wanted people who are comfortable and confident talking about sex and identity, um, whether that person is a teacher, um, a nurse, um, someone from YouthCo, they wanted, they basically were like, it feels so awkward and the awkwardness adds to me not wanting to ask questions or yeah, just, the whole experience not being a very fun one. Um, so they want um, an educator who's comfortable talking about those things, um, and also one who knows how to hold safe space in those classrooms um, for them to feel like they can be curious and ask questions. Um, and also knowing that, for example, for queer and trans students, um, there's a lot of worry of asking a question and then 
outing yourself in the classroom, or for example, asking a question and hearing a classmate say something homophobic or transphobic or whatever, and then the fear of not having someone in the classroom know how to respond in such instances. Um, so that's why they wanted um, educators who were specifically trained to do this. Um, so this could be like um, a teacher who received pro like professional development and how to deliver sex ed or um, a trained sexual health educator. And finally, the last point that they shared with us is that they wanted um, sex ed classrooms to be fun. So a lot of them were like, in my sex ed classrooms, the teacher just lectures us. It's really awkward. We don't get to ask the questions that we want or lead the conversation in how and the things that we're interested in. Um, so they wanted their success classrooms to be led by their interests and questions. Um, and for example, if they want to giggle, for them to feel like that's something that they can do um, if, if that comes up. Um, and they also wanted yeah, le less lecture style and um, for there to be more interactive activities, group discussions, um, they really liked visuals and pop-up books, um, classes that were more creative and less dry than just someone lecturing students. Um, yeah, and they wanted to learn something new each year instead of having the material be repeated over and over again. So with, so with all of that in mind, uh, our two organizations teamed up to come up with this uh, campaign called Sex Ed is Our Right. And so this is a campaign that's kind of a call to action for policymakers, educators, uh, folks on the school boards, as well as youth to kind of take action on getting uh, sex ed in BC to be the sex ed that youth deserve. Um, so this we recently launched this campaign, so we're not very far along yet, but basically we have uh, an online petition for uh, any folks to uh, sign. And we also have some plans to um, uh, talk to uh, ministries and uh, some school board folks um, talking about what Gada was just saying about uh, what youth is feeling is missing in their sex ed. One of the things that we also plan to do is, be is knowing that a lot of schools understand this need for better sex ed, but don't have the capacity to get the better sex ed, one of the things that Gada and I plan to do is to do this giant mail out of uh, sex ed resources to all of the high schools in BC. So there's this really amazing group in, uh, based out in Ontario called Action Canada for Sexuality. And so they have developed really, really amazing, um, like queer inclusive sexual health curriculum that high school teachers can look at and adapt for their classrooms. And so our plan is to do a giant mail out of the curriculum that they've built along with some other like books and resources to all of the schools in BC so that PE teachers who are currently assigned to do sex ed, PE teachers don't have an excuse not to at least have some basis of where to start for their sex ed. Because we know that a lot of times teachers are like, well, I do want better sex ed for my students. I just don't know what to do. So, so part of our plan is to do this giant mail out so that uh, teachers can at least know where to start or at least have a website that they can like print out some materials and things like that. And hopefully we can start seeing some changes uh, uh, in classrooms, maybe before we see some changes uh, on a more um, higher level. But also with that said, my question is, 
what are some of the reasons why you think we would face some barriers or challenges uh, when talking about this campaign? Like, why, why would some people be against having better sex ed? From my ethnic group, my experience was that from the ethnic Chinese background, there is a societal repression on human sexuality like, throughout. So they're just running on a habit. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. That is, that is actually a, a very common thing that, I mean, I'm very well aware of also being Chinese, um, that, you know, sometimes a lot of people from different cultural backgrounds just feel like sexuality is just not something that we need to talk about um, in our classrooms. It's not something we need to talk about with young people. It's just not something we need to talk about. Uh, so that is one challenge that we're facing is get it, to get everyone on board. We first need to get everyone to get everyone on board of having better sex ed, we need to get everyone on board first about sexuality as a concept. So yes, that is definitely one barrier. Why else do you think some people might be against better sex ed for youth? Yes. Yes, religion, for sure. Yeah, if you teach your children something, you will, they will do it. Actually, that reminds me of this great thing I saw on the internet just yesterday. It's like, uh, it was talking about sex ed in school and one parent was like, oh yeah, my child just learned about World War II yesterday, so he's gonna be joining the army now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, really odd connection that some people are having. Uh, before, you, I think I saw a hand here first, no? Yeah, misconceptions and misinformation, yeah. Right, some parents want to defend parents' rights. That's actually a very good, um, that's a very good argument, I would say. However, we recently spoke to um, some folks who work for Action Canada, and this is like a team of like advocates and lawyers and people who uh, are also advocating for a better sex ed. And so what they told us, I mean, don't quote me because I'm not a lawyer, but they told me that when it comes to education, it's the students that have the rights and not the parents. So this whole concept of parental rights is something that people talk about like online or in person, but it's not something that actually exists in the code or something, in the jurisdiction or something like that. I don't know, don't quote me, I'm not a lawyer, but, but we were told that parental rights is like a colloquial term and not a real term. But it, I mean, it is something that we still have to face because people throw that word around all the time. Yeah, so um, we know that we cannot do good sexual health education in schools without first acknowledging uh, SOGI, which is sexual orientation, gender identity. So we are not the experts on sexual orientation, gender identity here, but a lot of the work that we do around sex ed is very connected with the work that the folks uh, who are trying to advocate for SOGI is doing. So SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, S-O-G-I, SOGI is very well connected to the work that we do. But, however, uh, when we talk to folks who are doing the SOGI123 campaign um, and getting them to maybe partner with us with, this camp, uh, with our campaign, um, they, were, they were very, very supportive, of course. But they also want to uh, make a clear distinction that the work that they're doing, which is around um, making sure classrooms are safe and for students of all sexual orientations and gender, is different from the work that we're doing, which is trying to get better sex ed for all students. And the reason that uh, they told us to be careful of this um, divide or to be mindful that there is this divide is because when we start talking about sex ed to parents who are very concerned about SOGI, they kind of uh, automatically have assumptions about like how sex ed is going to affect 
their students. I don't know if I'm or they start right. like conflating the two, thinking that Soji is sex ed when it's completely not. Right. So, I mean, as Gada said, the youth are saying that you know it's great if the sexual health educator that comes to talk about sex in their school is very well versed and knowledgeable about sexual orientation, gender identity. Like that's a basis line of what youth want is just a knowledgeable educator, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a like a uh, call-in uh, educator or it's their teacher. Um, so we really also advocate and are supportive of the SOGI initiative, the SOGI 123. This is an initiative that was started by a group called the ARC Foundation. And so they are trying to advocate for teachers. They've created a lot of resources for teachers to learn about uh, different sexualities. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, two-spirit identities, and how to uh, be more inclusive of these identities in the classroom. So we really need their work to be acknowledged in the classrooms for our work about sex ed to happen. In a good way, yeah. Yeah. So does that make sense, the distinction between SOGI, 123, sexual health for LGBTQ students? It goes, it goes hand in hand a lot, but a lot of people are arguing um, for SOGI. So, so this is a picture of Gada and I at a rally for SOGI, 123. So in the summertime, there was a, a group of people, a group of parents, uh, concerned parents, who were really against having schools uh, acknowledge different sexual orientation and different gender identities. And so we showed up at that, the counter rally to that uh, because we, want, we do want schools to acknowledge uh, different sexual orientations and gender identities. Um, what was my point here? <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, yes, my point is that if we want to succeed in having better sex ed for all students, we also need to support the work that people who are advocating for SOGI are doing. And their work is all about getting schools to recognize that uh, it's not just straight and cisgender people or students in their schools. Next steps. Okay, so this is a picture of Gada and I and our respective executive directors of our organizations and also two people from... Action Canada. And so last week or two weeks ago, we met with the Minister of Education, uh, Minister Rob Fleming, uh, to talk to him about uh, the need for better sex ed. And this, is, this was actually not the first time we've talked to Rob Fleming. So earlier this year, both of our organizations met with him and we said the same things. Like, we talked to youth, this is what youth are saying, blah, 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 blah. And so actually the minister is actually very, very well receptive to all of the stuff we've been saying. Um, I mean, it's a 30-minute meeting because you know ministers don't have a lot of time to talk with us it's a 30 minute meeting but you know like there was a lot of head nodding a lot of uh raw fleming being like yes yes i agree this is all great blah 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 um so we we actually don't know the outcome of the meeting um beyond just rob nodding his head along being yeah that's great yeah i agree yeah that's right um but but what we did do is that we um the six of us we went to raw fleming with kind of an idea or a proposal about how we can achieve better sex ed for all youth. And we came to him with two ideas. It was a long-term idea and a short-term idea. The short-term idea was to um, better fund groups like YouthCo and Options for Sexual Health so that they can go to more schools in BC to do sexual health education. Because these are the folks who are trained to do sexual health uh, versus the PE teachers who are trained to teach PE. So the short-term situation, the short-term proposal was to better fund uh, the groups who are uh, being called to teach sex ed. And then the long-term solution or the long-term idea 
<clears throat> funding proposal that we gave Rob was to um, better resource the teachers so that um, the teachers in schools all across BC so that if there is no, if like youth co or options for sexual health can't make it to a school in Kelowna or Prince George or Penticton or somewhere really far from Vancouver, the schools would still have the resources to do their own sex ed or so the, the PE teacher can still have some resources to uh, go through with a good sex ed class. So those were the two proposals that we went with. They seem really basic to us. Um, you know, we don't know the outcome. We don't know if it will go anywhere, but we did get a lot of head nods and yes, I agree. So we're hopeful, I guess. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I, that's basically all that we have to say about sex ed, but we're really happy to answer any questions. But before I let you answer any questions, I guess I'll do one more plug. Uh, one more plug for our website, sexedisourright.ca. So if we leave here today and you're still thinking about this topic, you can go to sexedisourright.ca uh, and then read more information or um, get in touch with one of us and talk about it more. Um, but yeah, that's our presentation. Thank you.